It's the Productized Podcast. My name is Brian Castle. This is my show where we talk about product services, moving from services into products, moving from products into services, and everything in between. And today's show is no exception to that. I'm talking to Ward Sandler. He is the co-founder of Memberspace.com. Today, they are a very successful SaaS company offering a very simple solution to uh, adding a membership component to any kind of website. So that's been pretty interesting. But the most interesting part of it to me, and I think probably to many of you, is that, you know, how he came from a background in sales and then moved into consulting, then moved into a productized consulting around Squarespace websites. And then out of that was sort of the the learning and and also the runway and the and the sustainability to to eventually iterate into what is today a, a SaaS, a software as a service kind of company. A lot of really good nuggets in this one um, from being uh, very intentional about learning new skills, even when he and his co-founder didn't have them. They started out as non-technical founders and they made themselves technical founders. That, that's pretty interesting. But then as they have they learned the benefits and drawbacks of, of different business models along the way, and then ultimately um, how they uncovered the, the clear pain point and solution that, that ultimately became member space. Lots of really good stuff. And actually, at the very end of, of this conversation, we had a good chat about onboarding, you know, onboarding customers into a software and everything that, that he's learned about that and how they've really optimized that. I'm, I'm learning a lot about that myself since I'm working on that in some of my products. So without further ado, let's, let's head into my conversation with Ward Sandler, co-founder of Memberspace. Enjoy. Hey, Ward Sandler, how are you doing? Good, Brian. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, cool. So you are a, a founder or co-founder of of MemberSpace, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me and uh, my partner Ryan Benick, we uh, we co-founded MemberSpace back in 2015. Awesome. So, uh, so yeah, like I know a little bit about about your story. We, we've connected before. You know, I've always thought that like when I first heard about MemberSpace, it was one of the more interesting twists on the idea of membership site software that I've seen. I mean, I'll, I'll let you uh, explain it. Like, yeah, can you give us a quick overview of what it is? Sure, yeah. So the easiest way to explain it is like kind of our headline on our website is it basically turns any part of your existing website into members only with just a few clicks. So for example, if you have a website on Webflow or WordPress or Squarespace or any of those popular CMSs out there, you can simply tell MemberSpace which pages you want to protect and then we'll lock those pages down for you on your existing site then you can charge money so that people can get access to those pages. So the nice thing is that people don't have to leave your website. It's just your website and it's your regular pages. We're just kind of like that new protection layer in between. I love it, man. Because like there are so many membership software, you know, membership platform systems out there, as I'm sure, I'm sure you know pretty well. But the thing with, with all of them is that like when you decide on which membership system you want to use, you, you kind of have to like migrate your whole site and spend all this time like you know just getting the membership system to work even though some of them are easy to use it's still a lot of work to like just plan it out and migrate and i love how like member space you could just take your existing website and kind of slap on a membership component yeah and even crazier than that let's say for whatever reason you have a wordpress site and you add member space it's it's not a plugin um, on purpose so it, it's a third party that you just add into your site via some javascript basically and what's cool about that is, let's say, you, you know, one day you're like, you know what, I hate WordPress. I don't ever want to use WordPress again. I want to move to Squarespace. Your entire membership can bolt out of WordPress and bolt back into Squarespace without any interruption to your members. They don't need to recreate their account, re-enter billing details. Everything just seamlessly moves. 
And so that's the cool part too. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter what CMS you're using, you can move. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's interesting you even say that because I recently, like my personal site and some of my other like marketing websites, I have since moved off of WordPress and gone to like a static site, you know, just easier for me to be a nerd and code them instead of use a CMS. But my productized membership site is still on a membership system based on WordPress. And so I, I do still feel like I'm locked into using WordPress for that site like forever because all the membership system is there. So it's interesting you bring that up. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we use Jekyll, a static site generator for our marketing site of MemberSpace, and, and we use MemberSpace to run MemberSpace. So um, yeah, I, I hear you. Like, it, it's cool to just have that flexibility. We think that's super important these days. Yeah, very cool. Oh, so you're actually using MemberSpace to run like the SaaS, like, like what, like the customer dashboard and, and experience there? Yeah, like when people sign up for a plan. I mean, there's a few kind of custom tweaks to make everything work with because it's software we're providing, obviously, as opposed to just protecting pages on a site. But yeah, uh, we're using the core member space system to actually have people log in and sign up and manage their account and pay us all, all the SaaS stuff. Very cool. Very cool. So there's a bunch of that I want to kind of dig in with you here today. We'll, we'll certainly go back in, in your backstory and hear how, hear how this came together. I also want to dig into your you know, customer service operations, because that's something that I think comes up a lot with, with folks who are in like productized services. But you know, I also interview people in SaaS here, and, and I think the interesting thing with SaaS companies that most people don't talk so much about is, is actually how you do. There's a very much a customer service component to running a software company, as I'm sure you know. And I mean, just like just one quick thing that I, I thought was really interesting. I was kind of clicking through your website this morning and I, I noticed like anyone can just come to your website and find your Calendly link and just book a call with you. You guys are pretty upfront about scheduling calls, which is not, <laughs> not super common for software companies. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, that's like something we really pride ourselves on is the support. But like, yeah, for me personally, I do like two to three calls a day with customers or prospects via Zoom. And I've been doing that for years. So like I've literally spoken to like over 5,000 people like uh, in terms of prospects or customers about member space. And I mean, I find it completely invaluable, the, the amount of feedback we've gotten. I, I kind of repurpose it as user testing too. You kind of see what what areas are confusing about the software, where to click. And, and on top of that, you just get to make a connection with people, right? So like, even if they you know, aren't ready to buy the software that day, they'll remember you or they'll refer you to somebody because you've made a connection now. And it's been amazing to do that. So yeah, we, we, we think it's great to do that. Awesome. All right. I, I want to dig into all of that stuff. So I mean, before we go back in your story, like, uh, can you give us any sort of sense of like, size of, of members like member space today whether it's i don't know whether it's revenue or employees or customers anything like that yeah i can give you some numbers so right now we are 11 full-time people and we're looking to hire two or three more at the moment and in terms of you know uh, i guess i'm comfortable sharing we're, we're processing millions of dollars on behalf of customers each month so people are processing millions through member space and yeah, I mean, we're, we're profitable. Uh, we, we did take a small amount of uh, funding from Earnest Capital uh, last year. But oh, yeah, aside, yeah, yeah. So aside from that, though, we're, we are bootstrapped. And yeah, still profitable, still growing. So yeah, the things are, things are good. Oh, very cool. I actually didn't realize you guys were in earnest. Now, now I have a bunch more questions. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Happy to, happy to answer. Awesome. Yeah. And, and like for those who aren't, aren't familiar with, with earnest capital, it's, it's kind of one of these new like bootstrapper friendly fund accelerator sorts of things, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a way to, yeah. Basically they give you a small 
amount of capital, generally in like the lower six figures. And uh, in exchange, they have it's kind of like a they have a whole public public document about all this too. It's not like super secret in terms of how they do structure their terms, but basically it's like a, it's like an elaborate profit sharing model. Um, so they don't actually taking technically they're not taking any equity in your business. Got it. So it's kind of interesting the way they've done it. It's more like basically we only pay that money when we're when we're profitable in a quarter. So like there's no real downside for us. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, you know, also before we we go back in your story, I also wanted to ask a little bit about your pricing. You you, you did mention that member space, it's not only about protecting certain pages on the customer's website, but you actually handle their selling of the memberships, like handling the transactions. And I think you you have like standard SaaS pricing plus a transaction fee. Is that right? Yeah, that that's exactly right. Yeah. So basically it's twenty five a month with a four percent transaction fee and then it goes to fifty a month, two percent. Uh, 100 a month, 1%, and then 500 a month, 0%. But we might be changing up that last plan in the near future. Okay. Huh. And like, how did that, like, how, was was your pricing always set up this way? Or, or did you, did you like, what did you learn about that? Or, and did it change at all? Yeah, no, it, it definitely was not always set up this way. We've actually done a lot of pricing changes. Uh, too many, I'd say. We have like a enormous list of legacy plans out there and customers on them. And We've always tried to be cool. Like we always, you know, grandfather people into whatever plan they were on. So we have people on some ridiculous plans. But we used to charge based on the number of members you had. Like it was like buckets, kind of like you know how Mailchimp does it. Like up to a thousand members is this much. Up to three thousand members is that much. Because that kind of sounds like the obvious value metric, right? Number of members. If if, if you're having a membership business, um, but right. believe it or not, it's actually not a good value metric. And the reason being, if you think about a membership, like. Okay, that's one thing, but what kind of members do you have? Are you charging people $100 once? Are you charging people $30 a month? Are you charging people $10,000 a year? Like it, it you have wildly different pricing models for memberships. Yeah. Because by membership, I don't just mean recurring, I, I, it could be a course, it could be coaching, it could be a lot of different things. And so people had very, very different pricing schemes per customer. And so a, a member for one person is, might be wildly more valuable or less valuable compared to another customer. And so by charging for up to 1,000 members, that can mean very different things. And so that's why it didn't really work out. And we switched to just doing keeping it simple, which is actually revenue is the value metric. The amount of revenue I'm generating through my platform or through my membership is what matters. And that's why we did transaction fee because that's that's a lot cleaner. You can just take a, a little percentage. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, it's interesting how that sort of consideration comes up. I mean, I've, I've been thinking through, or in the past, I've thought through that with, with process kit as well. And I, and I, you know, I would get like some feedback from folks like, well, why don't you make the pricing based on like how many processes that they have? And, and my thinking is the same thing is that like a large company might only have two or three main processes or a small company might have a lot of processes and they shouldn't be kind of penalized for that. It's, it, it's not exactly directly tied to, to value. So that, that's interesting. Yeah, and you're doing per seat, right, for process kit? Yeah, per seat. The base plan kind of covers the first few seats. But yeah. then we also have like guest users, which are unlimited. So I'm still kind of, I don't know, kicking around different ideas there. I guess I guess pricing never really, <laughs> you know, like sets in stone. Nah, work in progress forever. Yep. Cool. So let's go back. Like, uh, what what's your background? Like, how did you even, you know, get into this? Yeah. So if we want to go all the way back, you know, my first you know, real job out of college, uh, I was actually doing enterprise sales. So like I was selling pretty expensive tax software for uh, a company, a, a large company called Thompson Reuters. Uh, like They're like a Fortune 500. 
So I was selling expensive tax software to other Fortune like 1000 companies to be compliant with Sarbanes-Oxley, which is like a US regulation around taxes. And uh, yeah, so I did that, got, got some good sales experience and, and it was cool because, you know, it's a software, so still kind of in the business and technical world a little bit. And then uh, me and my buddy Ryan, who was working there too, when we went to college together, we were always kind of like throwing around ideas for, you know, what, what we wanted to do afterward. And we had different business ideas, but we realized we didn't know how to code. We'd have to hire somebody to do everything. So we just kind of started reading books about how to program and taught things to ourselves and just kind of started consulting. And then eventually, eventually quit Thomson Reuters and we're just doing consulting for a while. And then that's during that period is when we came up with, uh, with member space. What kind of consulting were you, were you doing? Yeah. So first it was whatever we could get. Like my, our first client was my uncle Larry in Florida, who's like a real estate lawyer. And it was like a $600 custom PHP website, which for, it didn't need to be a custom PHP website. That's just, that's what we knew how to use. <laughs> we should have just used some kind oh. of CMS platform, but that's what we built. And, uh, that was that got us off the ground, got us our first dollar of revenue. And uh, wait, wait, yeah. I, I just want to I want to pause here for a second. So you and your co-founder don't have any don't have any like formal experience in like designing or building websites before you started offering that as like a consulting service. Correct. <laughs> that's that's amazing. I mean, how how did you you know like mo- like most web like myself like like most web designers like we've hacked together like little sites for like my band in college and things, and then I went on to to more you know like like professional level web design like what were your very first steps i mean you were working a full-time job and then you just kind of like started hacking around reading up on how to build websites yeah i mean we were pretty deliberate so like we bought a book called head first html and css if anyone out there has heard of it i think it's pretty popular but it did a fantastic job of like okay you know absolutely nothing here's here's where to start and like it just walks you through the most basic thing of how to open the terminal, how to open up like a, you know, a, a website editor, uh, how to uh, have a local server running and just, you know, type this and the background changes to red. And it's just like, holy crap, this is amazing. <laughs> and uh, yeah. you feel like you have like magic powers, but it walks you through as step by step. If you knew absolutely nothing all the way to, hey, you can make like a, a basic responsive website at the end of it. And that's what we both did. We both loved it. And got super into it. And then from there, we were like, okay, what do we read next? And then we're like, all right, well, we need to kind of figure out how to set up like a back end if we wanted to make like software or something like that. And Ryan bought like this, one of those big, thick PHP books. And he started reading it and loved it. And I started reading it and hated it. And I was like, this is boring. I don't want to, I don't want to read this. And so I started to deviate into design and user experience and reading books and, and, and articles about that. And so we kind of both split up in that sense where I went down the design route and he went down like the, the backend and logic route. And so I, I you know, I'm, I do all the HTML and CSS and a little bit of JavaScript now. I mean, he does all the logic and backend stuff. And that, that's kind of how we build sites for people. Man, that that's great. I mean, the way that you guys sort of like split up and in, in, into those, into both sides of, of building stuff on, on the web. I mean, that that's awesome. Yeah. Like I, I, I was mostly on the, on like the front end design and HTML, CSS stuff for like 10 12 years and then only it wasn't until like two or three years ago that i actually finally started to to learn some back end and, and learn like ruby on rails and man i kicked myself for not trying to learn that sooner in my career you know because it's like that that feeling when you're able to like actually build a functional web application that that can work it's like oh man yeah it's super <laughs> it's empowering. empowering yeah exactly like i remember like when i was when we were first kicking around different ideas when we were working at thompson Reuters. 
And I remember like at first we're like, okay, well we have some disposable income. We could just hire somebody. That's not the end of the world. But then we kind of thought through like what that would look like if let's say we launched something and it's like, well, what if I wanted to change a button color or change the text? It's like, I'm gonna have to email some guy or girl and and pay them money to do stupid little things like that. Like that's going to be so annoying. Like I, I could just tell already that wasn't going to be okay. Like, I, I, I would need, I want to have control over that kind of stuff. And that's, that's what kind of got the impetus to got us going to, to teaching ourselves. Yeah. And so when you were teaching yourselves, did, was it like really with the intention of like, okay, we're going to start learning how to build this stuff so that we can go get clients and do this as a consulting gig? Yeah. I mean, we, we weren't, we weren't just like, you know, messing around. We we're, we're both pretty focused people. So like we were able to just say, all right, this is what we're doing. Let's do it. And we, you know, devoured books on this kind of stuff and resources on, 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 on learning. Yeah. And we got, we got to building Larry's site. I want to say, you know, within six months of when we picked up our first book, they, that, hit, that had first book. And uh, from there, we just kind of kept going. Like for a lot of folks out there who at least are self-taught, I would imagine like you kind of get your first client. It's obviously nothing spectacular. And then the next client, maybe you feel a little uncomfortable in terms of what they need you to do and what you know how to do, but you're confident you could learn it or figure it out. And that's kind of, yeah. that was kind of our approach, like kind of, all right, the next project, we know we can do about 80% of this, uh, but 20% we've never done before, but we think we'll figure it out. And that's how we did it. So we just kind of saw it as being paid to, to learn along the way. That's great, man. I, yeah. Like I, I remember the early days of like I worked at a web agency, but then I went freelance. And when I went freelance, I had to do all these aspects of these web projects that somebody else at the agency would have handled and not me. Like the first time I got a client who needed like an e-commerce site, I had to like figure out back in the day, I was using like Zencard or something stupid like that. But yeah, crazy. So how long were you doing like, I guess like freelance consulting as uh, doing doing web design stuff? And I guess you were also kind of doing the full-time job at, at the same time here? Yeah. So like uh, we were doing, we started our company, like the consulting side of it, technically in like 2011. And we probably did it for about a year in terms of like, you know, random consulting projects on the side while we were working full-time. And then, yeah, about a year later, we both quit and focused full-time on it. We, we, we were lucky. We were definitely like in a privileged position where we, you know, because again, we were doing enterprise sales. So if you're good at enterprise sales, you can make pretty good money. And so we both were pretty good at it and we were able to have a good a good amount of savings uh, built up so we had a nice runway uh, even though we were making money from consulting it wasn't anywhere near what we were making doing sales but we there was something coming in and we had that that runway so we felt comfortable enough to take the risk we knew we could always go get sales jobs again that wasn't really a, a problem so i mean at that point because that that's an interesting transition that so many people have their have their sights set on right it's like i want to quit a job so that I can go start a business or, or I am consulting and I want to, I want to phase out the client work so that I can build my own software company or, or some other kind of new company. Right. I feel like I know too many people, especially as they get a little bit later in life, they've got a family and mortgage and things where they're like, well, I can't make that leap until my new thing on the side is, is making as much as, as much income as I made from my job or from consulting. But I, I feel like the reality is in almost all cases, and this was the case for myself too, making these transitions, like you're going to have to take a pay cut. To, you're going to have to plan for that, whether you're building off of a nest egg of savings and things. And, and then, you know, you do want to have some, have, have like revenue from the new thing, but, it, but at some point you're going to have to say like, okay, this is going to be a, a cut for a while and to, to make this work. I mean, were you, were you thinking in those terms? Yeah. I mean, 
you have to think of it from a, like a sustainability standpoint too. It's like, all right, you can do nights and weekends work to build something up on the side, but you can only do that for so long before you get burnt out or, you know, your quality of life is just crap. And, uh, for us, you know, doing the sales thing was, you know, it was a good amount of work to, to do all those calls and go on meetings and sometimes go on flights and, and then to have to do this on the side, it was, it was a lot, but you know, at the first, that's how it works. You know, nothing's easy. You're not just going to be able to build a business simply on the side. So I think what you said though is, is really important. You should really have some revenue coming in. I think it's really important to prove to yourself that you can sustainably get clients if you're trying to visit, you know, turn to client work after working full time somewhere else. Um, and I also agree that it's almost impossible to have replacement income ready to go. You have to take a leap at some point. I just think the folks out there who are do this in like kind of a, a reckless way is when you say you just get fed up with your job and you say, screw it, I'm quitting and I'm gonna go start something. And that's such a risky move. You really have to have something started before you make that leap, I think. For sure. For sure. If nothing else, just to just to learn. I mean, you're you have to expect you're gonna make a bunch of mistakes and you kind of have to get through those mistakes before things start to click. Yeah, exactly. Just a minute to tell you about process kit. If your operation needs to become more efficient and more predictable so that your team never lets anything fall through the cracks, then it's time to implement ProcessKit. ProcessKit is process-driven project management software made for powering client services businesses. It's especially designed with productized services in mind. Create powerful SOPs with built-in if-this-then-that automations, and then use those processes to power all of your repeatable projects. Whether you're managing a pipeline of new clients onboarding to your service, or tracking weekly deliverables, sales proposals, marketing assets, or admin work, ProcessKit is your team's place for getting it all done, but more importantly, done right. Use our powerful Zapier integration to hook ProcessKit into all of your other systems. And if you'd like expert help with improving your processes and automations, ask about our ProcessKit implementer service. Request your free demo and trial at processkit.com. So you're doing this like like the, the consulting thing, and then eventually you do leave leave the job. How do you start to identify? Oh, memberships is a thing. Yeah. So I'll add in a few more details here, real quick. So basically, we were doing random websites. Then we started kind of doing some e-commerce. We were doing Shopify sites a little bit. Then we started building Ruby on Rails applications for folks like custom software. And that was interesting, but it was, I think for a lot of folks out there who do consulting, kind of that, the roller coaster of revenue where you have, you land a few big projects, things are great. Then you don't have anything for a month or two and things are terrible. And now is just emotionally really difficult to deal with and, you know, stressful and a lot anxiety provoking and just not fun. So kind of at, at a desperation, I started looking at like our contact form. <laughs> so you know, on our website, we have we have a contact form, obviously. And this is back when we were uh, 320NY. That was our consulting company. Mm-hmm. People would fill in a contact form. And I realized I was turning away like, you know, 90% plus of the leads that came in because we were we were doing custom software at that point. So if you didn't have 20K, at least as a budget, we weren't even going to talk to you. And I realized we were turning away all of these, you know, simple-ish kind of projects where it was just, I need a, I need a website of some kind. And that's when we started thinking, what if we could say yes to these in some way? And that's when we said, why don't we try using Squarespace and building simple websites for folks? And then on the side, we could do, we could have some kind of recurring revenue model where we're charging them for ongoing support and maintenance, which for Squarespace is pretty easy. It's not like WordPress where there's like plugin issues and things and hacks and stuff where it's like way more complicated with Squarespace. It's really straightforward. <laughs> so it's really just yeah. going go to the editor and change some text if they want to update a paragraph. Right. So 
that is when things dramatically shifted in our business. That's when we started doing, you know, productized consulting, where we'd have a fixed rate to build the site. We eventually whittled that down to one day website builds uh, to really help control scope um, and, and to make everything clear and really honestly to get clients in gear. Because for anyone out there who knows, like when you're dealing with clients, they, they generally will kind of fill the entire the entire time period. If, if you're saying, okay, it's a four-week build, it's going to take four weeks. The client makes it at least four weeks because they delay things generally. When we condensed everything into one day, you don't have a choice. You have to kind of get get your stuff together, right? If you're going to do it in one day, you got to be prepared from the client's perspective. We found that was a really, really good forcing function to get them organized, set up, and ready to go. And then we could execute everything in a day because we realized for a lot of these projects, like the, the actual amount of work we were doing was only about a day's work. It was just dragged out over emails and trying to get the client to get us stuff. And so we were able to offer a cheaper price because it's one day. And we were going to offer $99 a month ongoing support, which is really where the money was. Because that's most people, it was kind of like a gym membership where like most people aren't actually using it, but like they're paying for us to be on call. So yep. you would just get this nice recurring revenue base. And that, that allowed us to hire people and to have like this nice recurring revenue business model. And from there, that's when member space started to come in. Because when we were building all those Squarespace sites, a lot of requests we would get were like, hey, can I add some kind of membership functionality? And Squarespace didn't, doesn't have that. And they still don't. <laughs> okay, awesome. So, so we'll, get, we'll come back to the, to the membership stuff in a minute. But yeah, I mean, let's talk about this productized consulting model that you had there for, for a little while. I mean, you know, obviously, I, I, I love that model. And, I, and I've seen that work really well. We, we've seen it work with, with Squarespace specifically really well. If you go back a couple episodes on this podcast. Listen to my interview with uh, Jared Gold, who who runs Website by Tonight, which is a very similar idea to you know running a Squarespace based like one day website in a day kind of service. I think that's fantastic. And so what I'm curious about is you were doing these large twenty thousand plus you know projects, custom applications and things, and then you guys decided to switch to serving small businesses and doing the, the like this productized like Squarespace site building service. What was that transition like? Because I, again, like I know so many people who are, who've become comfortable with these like high dollar consulting projects and for them to start to wrap their mind around like, well, how do I start just charging a fraction of that and, and kind of balancing the time and doing that transition? How, how did that go down for you guys? Yeah. I mean, for us, it felt natural because we were so sick and tired and burnt out from the the large consulting model, just because, like I said, the the idea that some months we wouldn't get any new projects in. It would just be like, well, crap, <laughs> I guess we're getting paid zero this month. And like that was terrible. So when we started doing the, the Squarespace model of building a website and support, it just immediately worked because we were willing to offer a fair price and we were really good at communicating. A lot of that was due to our sales background. We were used to you know, treating people like enterprise customers. And even though they were only paying us like $1,000 for a website. And so that allowed us to kind of pretty immediately get a lot of customers in because we had a lot of leads coming in because we had a we we were lucky enough to be featured in uh, Squarespace's specialist page. So yeah, I was just going to ask like, how did you start getting those leads for the Squarespace sites? If you if, if before that you were building a network for like larger you know custom stuff. Yeah, so like we, we were relatively early, I guess, in sort of the the world of building Squarespace sites for folks. Like you know, obviously people had done it before us, but we were still in the early-ish batch. So we were able to get on that on that site by applying to Squarespace. They had like a form you could fill out. They don't have it anymore. And we were able to get placed into like 
the, the way they do it, it's weird. They have like over a hundred people there, but they have this weird, I guess, algorithm where like the only show they show like a top 30 list that's always in the top 30. And then everyone else below the top 30 is just randomly ordered whenever you refresh the page. Hmm. So by being in that top 30 group, you're almost guaranteed that someone's going to see you when they go to that page. And that allowed us to get a lot of traffic and, and people to fill in contact forms. And so, like I said, we were getting you know multiple requests every day. And so once we started offering this model, we created a nice little sales page describing how we build the website, how we provide support. You don't have to worry about anything, blah, blah, blah. It just worked immediately. And then once we started getting that recurring revenue coming in, we never really looked back. We were like, this is so much better than the large projects because we knew that the recurring revenue was just going to grow over time. And so we immediately knew that this was the model to focus on for a while. So how, how, did, that, how did that model play out and how, how long did it sustain for you guys? I mean, do, I mean, do you still even do any of that right now? Or, and I'm also curious, like, how did the customer lifetime work out there? Like, did you have a lot of customer churn? And what was the customer support like? I'm basically asking like 10 questions all at once here on, on this phase of your journey. But it's all yeah, good. like, what did, you, what did you learn after you started getting into that model? Yeah, so a lot of things. I mean, yeah, there's a there's the way it worked was there's only a few customers who really were kind of like the squeaky wheels that really needed help and most people didn't say anything or only needed something occasionally, which I think is probably the normal distribution when you're offering some kind of productized support. And so yeah, for the people that needed a lot of help, that was a lot of work, but luckily most people weren't like that, so it wasn't that big of a deal. <laughs> uh, we we were lucky enough to have myself and we had a someone named Roger who was a friend of mine who we brought on to do the support and help build the sites and so having him and then and then Ryan was was there at the same time kind of handling and managing those those custom projects that we were winding down that we were still working on or maintaining and then yeah from there i guess in terms of the the revenue it, it just kind of grew pretty quickly and so we were able to bring on more people like within i think within a year or so of when we kind of started this model um and yeah what was the other questions you had asked i'm trying to remember now yeah so and actually i i definitely uh, know what you're talking about with like the squeaky wheel customers. My previous business when I was doing Restaurant Engine, which is a, a somewhat similar model where we kind of set up their the restaurant's website and then we offer the ongoing monthly service. You know, there there would just be a couple of customers who who have a lot, but the rest of them kind of pay like pay for that time essentially. So yeah, like like what were sort of like the challenges with that as as it was like growing over that year? Yeah, I mean. The challenges were just sometimes some people were just difficult to deal with because that's how clients are sometimes, right? Like you just couldn't get the website right or they just had a million little tweaks or little things. And so we had to constantly sort of adjust the model to limit the scope of what support included, limit the scope of what the website build out included, just to kind of deal with these edge cases. But that's okay because it, it made it made us kind of rethink the model and it made it made the expectations clear for customers. And it really taught us a lot of just, you know, about being really clear. And the language you use and, and all of that and when to say no to folks. And then we also had a 100% money back guarantee that we always did. So if for some reason after we built the website, even after it was live, if you weren't happy, just let us know and we'll give you a 100% refund. And we stood by that. I think only maybe one or two people ever asked for it. But uh, it was the idea that it was there and almost nobody else offered that usually gave us a leg up if people were comparing agencies. We would be like, yeah, well, with us, there's no downside because we'll give you all your money back if you're not happy at the end of it. Yeah. So I we're going to turn to the to the member space stuff in just a minute, but I mean one thing that I'm sort of noticing about about you and your business and your journey, like you come from this sales background, right? 
like starting in like enterprise sales and then like building these businesses consulting into the productized service model. Like how do you take your experience and your skill as a sales person and knowing what it takes to talk to customers and get them comfortable with buying a, a product or a service from you? Like how did you use that experience to form these products and these offers, if that makes sense? Yeah. I mean, a lot of it was, you know, I would do all the calls with people and I knew how to get people to buy things. So that was an advantage as opposed to, you know, someone who maybe is really skilled at design or really skilled at development, but maybe the people side of things is, is a bit more challenging or the idea of talking to somebody on the phone is, is terrifying <laughs> for, for a lot of people out there. Yeah. Whereas for me, I, I was used to regularly calling, you know, 100 people a day when you're doing enterprise sales and sending, you know, 100 emails a day. That wasn't a strange day. So for me, it was normal just to get on the phone and talk to folks. And I think a lot of people out there would agree in tech, a lot of folks aren't super good at communicating. So a lot of customers, it would be funny, they'd send us an email and I'd reply back you know, a few minutes later and they'd be like, oh, wow, thanks so much for getting back to me. And it, like, they were surprised I got back to them. It was amazing. Like, even if I got back to them, like, you know, a day later, if it was like if they emailed me at night, I got back to them in the morning, they'd be like, wow, thanks for getting back to me so quick. Like, they were so used to such a bad level of service. Seriously. And I think part of it is also when you're at that price point of a small business where like your budget for a website is, let's say, 5K or less, the types of agencies that are going to work with you or individuals, it's just the caliber is not as high, obviously, as the kind of agencies that build marketing websites for, you know, 30K plus. So yep. these folks are, are used to being treated badly. They're used to bad communication. And we just brought enterprise mindset to it where it's like, even if you're only paying us $1,000, we treated you as if you were paying us 30000 And that just really made people happy. It made them want to work with us. It made them trust us to do support afterward. Like It, it made them be evangelical about us and tell folks, hey, you should use these guys to build your website too. And that, it just worked out really nicely that way. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I, there's got to be something else about, you know, knowing what it takes to get a prospect over the hump of, of them being, feeling like convinced that, yes, this really solves my problem. I think there's something about sales experience. And I, I don't have a lot of like, not like formal sales experience before my, before my businesses, but I've done a lot of sales calls for my businesses. And, and one thing that I've learned is, is that like, you really have to hone in on, on a customer's need and what their fears are. Right. Like, I mean, like what they're like, if I buy this, am I going to be disappointed because of this or because of that? It sounds like, like by offering the the hundred percent money back guarantee, that's the sort of thing that, that you must've sensed that, oh, like this is a, a big problem with small businesses. They, they get a website done and they don't like the outcome. So how can we overcome that objection? Right. Yeah. I mean, a lot of a lot of what I did in the model, it was constantly evolving because it was just based on feedback. I would talk to so many people. They would ask certain questions I didn't have a good answer to. And then the next time I talked to somebody, I would have an answer to that. Or I'd update something on the website to make that more clear or whatever. And where the money back guarantee came from, a lot of people would say, well, you know, can you create multiple versions of the website? And then I could pick one. And we were just like, no, we're not going to do that. That sounds horrible. And you know, what we're going to do is create the best version based on our professional experience. And that's what you're going to get. And the reason you don't need to worry about that is because we have the money back guarantee. It was this good kind of anchoring thing that we could always be like, well, no matter what, you're going to get your money back if you're not happy. So that, that allowed us to kind of win any argument, if you will. That's really interesting the way that you just put that because it's, you know, you think of like these money back guarantees as like, oh, it, it's a way to overcome the objection of, oh, it, it costs too much or what if I lose my money? But really what you were doing was solving for the problem of, well, we don't want to do 
multiple versions. We don't want to do extra work. Right. So that, that's really interesting. Cool. So then, so you mentioned that a lot of those customers were starting to ask about like, well, how can I have members log in? Like, how did that question or need start to bubble up? Yeah. So, you know, naturally people just kind of be like, oh, because Squarespace has e-commerce built in. So, you know, some people would want e-commerce sites um, and then sometimes they'd want to charge for a membership or a recurring subscription. And we were just like, yeah, you can't really do that well in Squarespace. And they'd be like, well, is there anything you can figure out? And we're like, well, let's go see if there's some third parties. And so we would look and there were a couple. They were really bad, though, like really low quality. And we just weren't comfortable recommending them to people. So we didn't. And we said, yeah, there's not a good solution for this right now. And uh, from that, though, we, we got enough of the requests that we were like, okay, this, is, this keeps happening. Let me go look in the Squarespace forums and see if maybe there's something I'm missing here in terms of a third party that other people are using. And it wasn't. There was just no good option. People were talking about all the options that were available and how they weren't good and what they didn't like about them. But people were still paying for them, which was amazing to me. I was like, people are actively complaining about how bad this is, but they're still paying for it because it's the only game in town. And I noticed, and this was a lot of this was uh, from Amy Hoy, her sales safari technique of like going through the data. So I was looking in, in the forums and I was sort, sorting by most viewed topic and adding memberships to Squarespace was like in the top three and had like 100,000 views. And so I dived into that and read through every single response. And there was hundreds and hundreds of them. And that's where I got a really good idea that, okay, yeah, people are paying for something. This is definitely a need, but they're not happy at all with, with the solution. And that's when I started to talk to Ryan, like, hey, what if, what if we were to kind of put something together? Because we know how to make software. We've built Ruby, multiple Ruby on Rails applications. Why don't we put something together to solve this, like an MVP? And we didn't have to like guess, oh, I wonder if this will work. We kind of knew it would because there was data right there of people saying they wanted this and they were already paying for it and they weren't happy with what would exist. So it was kind of a no-brainer. And that's what we did. And that's how we kind of evolved a very, very basic MVP and uh, mentioned it on the forum and, and immediately got beta testers. And the rest is kind of history. That's awesome. So you found this this like massive thread on Squarespace's own forum. Yep. And just like person after person is, is, is like expressing the pain point of, of not finding a good solution to have a membership bolted onto their uh, Squarespace site. I mean, in this thread, like were, were people suggesting solutions at that time, like early on? Yeah. Like other ones? There was like one or two out there, but it would always be couched with a, but I don't really like it that much or, oh, but it's buggy or uh, their support's terrible. Like it would always be like, here's what I'm using. It works okay, but I don't like X about it. Amazing. So how long did it take uh, you and Ryan to build the the MVP of this thing? Uh, I wanna, I'm want i a little hazy on the details. I think it was like maybe two months three months, something like that. It was pretty quick. It was like the most basic, it was like a true MVP. So literally all it did was you would tell us, you would add a, a JavaScript snippet to your website. You would tell us uh, the page URL or URLs you want to protect. And that was it. <laughs> and what we would do is if somebody tried to go to that page URL, who was not a member, they would get redirected away and then they would need to sign up. And by signing up, I mean, they give you name and email and they create a password. And now they can access the page. So basically, it's give, give me your email for access to this page. Because that's actually what was in the forum threads. Was like I, I noticed the commonality was a lot of people were like, I just want to collect email addresses for access to this page. But I don't even care about charging for it. And I was just like, okay, well, we can do that part. And that's literally all it did. So we, we were that's what we did. That was the MVP. We weren't charging any money for this either. Because again, we use MemberSpace to run MemberSpace. So until MemberSpace allowed charging functionality, we weren't charging customers. <laughs> Okay, so I'm curious, like, 
when you started, like you, you see, you see the thread, you're doing this research, like from afar, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of analyzing what these people are saying. Did you start talking to potential users or customers of member space before building the MVP or did you build, like take the two months, build the very rough first version and then start offering it to say, Hey, come try this thing, at least for free right now. Like what was the sequence there? So the talking would mainly be with prospects or customers of ours who already were using us for consulting and then wanted membership functionality because we had a relationship. So I could kind of have some kind of casual conversations. But from what I recall, we didn't do a ton of that because again, the the, the information was already there. I didn't, I already knew through seeing it dozens and dozens and dozens of times in the forums, what people wanted. Um, It wasn't like a, a guess. So I was pretty darn confident that I knew what the basic kernel of of membership functionality was that was needed. And so that's, that's why we built it. And then after that, we got up to like 100 beta testers pretty quick. And uh, from there, we just kind of started using that feedback, obviously, to evolve the product from there and add features. Got it. Got it. And so you, like you said, you, you've, you've been using, and I guess today you still use member space to power your own customer signup process. How long did that go on before you built like the ability to charge people for for the software and like when did the software do you feel like became ready to charge for rather than just have free beta users what was like the what were you looking for to to turn that corner yeah so it was about five months four or five months of just kind of adding features adding functionality before we finally added the feature to be able to charge a recurring subscription via stripe for someone to become a member and get access to pages so that was that was like around April of 2016 we launched that, um, and that's so once we launched that for our customers, that's when we started charging for the ability to use member space. Yeah, nice. Yeah. So then, what were like the what were the early learnings? Like, I guess you know, around 2016, as you're starting to get your first paying customers, what were the f- like the very first like immediate iterations that that you learned with with member space? I mean, we immediately realized that people want lots of different nuanced billing, uh, like flexibility. Like they want billing dates, they want free trials, they want signup fees, they want to be able to charge a tax. Like all of this, they want one-time payments, they want multiple payments, they want annual, they want monthly. It was just like it never ended. I want different currencies. There's just there's when people think of oh, a recurring membership subscription, it kind of sounds like a simple phrase, and everyone thinks oh yeah, it's just like ninety nine dollars a month or something, right? But there's so much nuance to it, and it's so complicated to build it, and then to make everything yeah. work correctly. Especially once you get into payments, like oh my God. customers' payments for their customers. That, that's yeah. a whole other layer. It's crazy in terms of you got you got to get the, the you know getting trials right, getting proration right, getting cancellations right. It's all very complicated. Um, currency translations, like it's it's complicated, and so it took us a while to kind of build up all that stuff on top of other things like drip, the ability to drip out pages. On all those requests, like how how were you fil- like sifting through those to say, yeah, this this request comes up a lot. We're going to build it, or this one it's kind of an edge case. I don't know that we're going to add that to the product. Like, how did you make those decisions? Yeah, I mean that's one of those tough questions. Like, I don't have a great answer for everybody. It was it was more like if we heard it enough times, where it was like, for example, when we were building that MVP of member space, the number one request was, how can I charge people? for the ability to, for them to become members. So I was like, okay, obviously that needs to be the next feature. Like that was what almost everybody kept asking for as the next thing. So after we built that, another big one was, okay, how do I let, how do I connect uh, my membership to my email list? And I was like, okay, we're going to create an export. <laughs> and then 
The next big one was like, you know, how do I integrate it with MailChimp specifically? Uh, how do I add a coupon? So like we would just hear it would bubble up. It would be obvious. You would hear it so many times every week that I was like, this is clearly what we need to build next. Then yeah. you get to a certain point with a product where we're at now where it's like you have, you know, all of the core features. And then it becomes a little trickier to figure out what do you do next because there's still an unlimited list of things that need to, that we could do or that people are asking for. I don't think you ever finish that. But it becomes trickier to figure out this is obviously what we should do next because it's not as obvious because you know 10 people are asking for this, 12 are asking for that. Which one do you build? I don't know. You kind of have to guess and use your intuition. Um, and, kind of, and that's where I think it's important to have like a... Uh, I don't want it to sound too cheesy, but like a vision for the product in terms of what what are we trying to accomplish? Like, what's the main goal of this? And for us, the main goal has always been we want to make it really easy to create a membership business and to make it sustainable. And so, to make it easy means it needs to be simple for non technical people. So that's always been kind of like a, a driving force of ours, and that, that helps us sort of eliminate potential other options of features and, and focus on how do we keep making this simpler and simpler and simpler for non-technical people. Yeah. Yeah. And and I guess like by, well, you know, member spaces is, is obviously not only for Squarespace anymore, but I guess it's sort of evolved from there. But I guess a lot of these platforms like Squarespace, Wix, do-it-yourself, WordPress, you know, Weebly, you, by the nature of, of the type of customers who are using those sites to build their websites, they're probably non-technical. Right. Yeah, so I mean, like, yeah, those are our people. Sort of like assume, yeah, and so with that in mind, as we kind of like fast forward back to today, what does it look like for new customers signing up? Do most customers actually set themselves up, like set up their own membership, like spaces using member space, or do you have to kind of handhold them in, in in terms of the setup process? How does that go down? Yeah, so it's it's self serve for sure, but um, we do have a very active uh, support team. So. Our team will help people along the way with whatever they need. But yeah, we do have a pretty good onboarding um, that walks you through exactly how to get all this set up and ready to go. But yeah, we have our support team. We have pretty good help docs that we're constantly trying to improve. And then we have those Zoom calls with me that we that I mentioned before where folks can always set up a call and I can just kind of go through things with them. Very cool. Are, you know, I'm actually really curious about your onboarding. Um, you know, before we wrap up here, is it possible to give us like a quick overview of like what what happens like step by step when somebody comes and, and creates their their trial account for member space? Like when does a call come up in that process? How does the support team reach out or what is the person going through in terms of like self-serve education or, or things like that? Yeah, happy to talk about this. This I like onboarding is something I definitely like to nerd out about. So, you know, when someone signs up, they get a, a welcome email like most software does. And in that welcome email, there is definitely a link to schedule a call with me. So like we try to make it pretty clear right off the bat that we're maybe a little bit different than what you're used to when you're when you're dealing with a software company. Um, you know, we even say like, you know, Ward, the CEO, is available for a one-on-one call with you. Just click here. And so that kind of sets a certain tone, I think. And then we have a series of other onboarding emails that are, you know, nothing, I think, groundbreaking, uh, but kind of walks people through what to do when we send those over the next, uh, you know, 14 days of the trial. And those are like kind of like highlighting like the, the key features or things that you need to get set up. Yeah, we found that you really got to fo- focus on like what are like the the handful, like three, four, five things that people need to do, and just repeat it all over the place. So it's 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 pretty much a, re- a repetition of what the in app onboarding is. It's not some special different sequence. It's it's really just whether you look there, you look here. It's the same video. <laughs> it's the same language, mm-hmm. and and then even when you're done onboarding, the same video and language is still there. 
So it's just like it's constantly kind of repeating because we just find people don't don't read, they're not thorough, they skim. And so you need to have it in multiple places in the hopes that maybe they see it once in full. So, but yeah, basically you start the trial, you give us some basic details in terms of what's your website URL, what CMS are you using? And it's just one step at a time. We make it so you can't do anything else except the step you're on. So after you click next, you're basically told, okay, tell us which page URLs on your existing website you want to protect. Do you not have any pages to protect? Go do that first. And that's all you can do is click select pages. There's nothing else you can click on besides your account if you want to like cancel or change your email. So interesting. And then, and then obviously we have kind of like a, a where you are progress-wise in the onboarding on the left. So people are kind of aware of what stage they're at. Um, and then they click next step once they've added pages. And then they're told, okay, now it's time to add plans so that you can decide how much it costs to get to those pages you just added. At this point, you can go back to pages if you want to add more or modify them. But that's it. You can go to pages or you can go to plans or you can go to your account. That's it. There's nothing else to do. And then the next step after that is bring them to customize. Hey, do you want to customize any parts of the user experience? So we're basically unlocking parts of the of the application after you get through each step of onboarding. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah you can always go back to a step that you've already completed, but it's kind of like unlocking levels. Like you can go replay the level if you want, but you can't go forward until you complete the current level. Do you ever get users who are like at like step two and they're just like, I just want to get into the thing and skip all this and, and really customize it myself? Do, do you get those requests or, or people are just like, all right, I'll just go through it? No, at this point, no, because it's because it's easy. You don't have to think. You, you just click a button and you type in a URL. Um, and so, or, or you click a button and you fill in a form about how much you want to charge. Like it's just, we haven't, I think people that are trying to do this, they're not, they want to get it set up. So they, they, I think they kind of realize like, this is what I need to do anyway. Like, why did you sign up for this if you're not actually trying to protect anything or charge money? Mm-hmm. So I think at least so, for us so far, we've had pretty good luck with people just going through the onboarding and and finishing it. And yeah, and that, that that's like even in the top navigation, as you unlock, you know, the level, which is really just like the view of the page, it tells you which ones you've unlocked and it shows you which ones are not are still locked. So this way you can kind of see how the interface is unfolding in front of you and the interface doesn't change after you finish onboarding. It's the same interface. It's just that now everything's available for you to to click in. That's interesting. I, actually, I was going to ask about that like cuz there there seems to be you know, these like two philosophies of like onboarding into software, right? Like there's the one like that you're sort of, it sounds like you're doing sort of almost like a mix of both where, because we, we've seen somewhere it's a complete takeover of the screen and it's this like wizard that's going to set up your account. But that initial experience is completely different from the actual app itself, like after you complete the onboarding, right? And then there, there's sort of like this other school of thought, I think that that it's like, you know, the app itself should be so intuitive and simple to use that you should just be able to come in there and start using it. And and there's no right or wrong. I think it's completely different for each individual market and product. But from what you're describing, it sounds like it's like a mix where where you are sort of like really guiding them step by step. But as they're going through it, they're, they're still seeing and learning what the end interface is going to be. Is that right? Yeah, so it's kind of a shout out to uh, Samuel Hulick, I think you pronounce it, of, of user onboarding. Um, so you know he's got a great uh, PDF book, ebook. It's uh, free, I believe. I think maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Um, about onboarding, it's like a hundred pages, and it, I, I kind of took a lot from his philosophy of like you don't want to completely change the interface. That that's your your people aren't going to remember <laughs> things if if you just 
have them go through like a, a tool tip, click next, click next, click next. I don't think that works. I know for me personally, when I've ever used software, that never works in terms of remembering how to do things or where things are. Yep. So basically what we're doing is to just kind of like empty states. So like, okay, you don't have any pages yet. So it basically is onboarding you for empty pages. And so that's the same view. If, if you, let's say in the future, add protected pages and then remove all of them, you'll see that same onboarding page for, for adding protected pages because it's, it's just an empty state page essentially because you don't have any pages or you don't have any plans. And so right. it allows people, I think, to just be comfortable knowing that, okay, I'm in the same room no matter what, it just, the, you know, maybe the table is a little different, but like you're in the same room when you're getting set up, whether you're getting set up or whether you're done getting set up. And I think that familiarity helps people be comfortable with the software, especially if you're not technical or so you're not as inclined to want to poke around and find, figure things out, which some of us like doing that. Some people hate doing that. They just want to be told, where do I click? That just, where, where, what do I do now? Yeah. And I think, it, and also if you're older, for people that are older, I don't think people who build software appreciate it enough. If you're in your 50s or 60s, what a nightmare it is to use software and how complicated and confusing it is. So by making things, big buttons, big font, not a lot of things to click on, you can't mess up. That, that makes, if you make that, ex, that the kind of experience that your parents can use your software easily, that means someone you know, that's younger is going to find it to be a breeze. And that's kind of our philosophy. Yep. The, uh, the mom test. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess, I guess that's a kind of a different book about something else, but interesting. Well, hey Ward, this is this is really valuable. I mean, I could keep I could keep picking your brain all all day long about <laughs> about different aspects of building a, a SaaS company, but I think there are a lot of a lot of really good nuggets here. I think your journey of of going from from job to consulting to productized consulting to you know to to the software business and just kind of learning you know step by step each way. I think that's been amazing. Um, so obviously, folks can go check out memberspace.com. Anywhere else, uh, people can connect with you, follow along. Yeah, so we're on, we're on Twitter at, at MemberSpace, and uh, we have a Facebook page, uh, so facebook.com slash MemberSpace. So yeah, our website's a good place to check out, and yeah, Twitter Twitter is where we post a lot of things. Awesome. Yeah, great chat, Ward. Thanks. Thanks, Brian. All right, did that give you something to think about? If it did, let me know on Twitter. I'm at CastJam. If you want to find show notes on this or any of the other episodes, or my weekly newsletter with new content, head over to productizeandscale.com. Now, if you haven't already, a five-star review in iTunes, that would go a long way to helping other folks find the show. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you next time.